What makes a sentence strong? How do you create concrete images for your readers? How do you make sure your prose won't put your readers to sleep? In today's episode, you're going to learn the answers to those questions with four easy tips that have a powerful impact on your sentences. In fact, they're so easy that you can start implementing them today. Bonus, you'll also discover how zombies can help you. Welcome to Parents Who Write, the podcast that helps parents pursue their writing dreams. I'm your host, Erin P.T. Canning. I'm a mom of two young boys, a writer, editor, and writing coach. My mission is to help you regularly make time for your writing, find your voice again, and confidently share your stories so that you can own your identity as a writer and be a happier, more patient parent. Hey friend, thank you for joining me for another episode of Parents Who Write. Today I am going to talk to you about four easy ways that you can strengthen your prose. The first one is filler words. These are words like really, very, actually, truly, even, just, absolutely, totally. A lot of times we think that we're adding these words in because we think that we're adding emphasis to our sentences, but actually they make us sound more hesitant and they clutter and weigh down our prose. This is one of the very first lessons that I learned back in, honestly, it was reiterated both in my undergrad years when I was studying literature and then emphasized yet again when I was getting my master's. All of my professors, they would like, please just get rid of the filler words and let your prose speak for themselves rather than bogging them down. One of my favorite descriptions of what an editor does is you guys craft this amazing, beautiful piece of artwork, right? But sometimes it can be covered in some grime and some dirt and some muck. And so an editor's job is to come in there and clean it up and polish it and help it to shine as beautifully as it can. It's still your artwork, but we're helping it to shine. One of the ways that we help it to shine is by getting rid of excess words that weigh down your prose. And like I said, I'm going to go through that list again. A lot of those words are really, very, actually, truly, even, just. I can't tell you how many times I say just in my own sentences. And then I'm like, I have to go back during revisions, be like, delete. Absolutely. And totally. Words like very, you don't need them. If you want to say that he is very tall, instead say he's as tall as a mountain or he's as tall as the doorframe. That gives us a better visual than just saying very tall. Very tall can mean anything to anybody, right? But he's as tall as the doorframe. We've got a concrete image in our head right now. So very isn't adding anything to your sentence. Absolutely. I absolutely want to go to the concert. Just say, I want to go to the concert. Or I'm desperate to go to the concert. You can choose better verbs. So right from the beginning, just cut out those filler words and it'll clean up your prose. Point number two, abstract words. This is one of my favorites as an editor. <laughs> abstract words are like, there are, there were, that is, that was, those are. And pay attention also for that's, the contractions. So let me ask you this. Why, why delete these words? If I say to you, there are, do you have a visual in your head? Does that do anything to help create a concrete visual in your head? Does it help your reader to feel and see and experience what your characters are going through? No, they're abstract, empty words. There are, there were, 
that is, that was, those are. Instead, what you can do a lot of times, it's just, it's such an easy fix. You can just take off the there, the that, the those, and just move your verb around. So say you have, there were 20 people in the room talking and laughing together. Drop off there were, and now you've got 20 people were in the room talking and laughing together. Every single one of those words used in that sentence create a visual for you. The other thing that I really like about deleting these abstract words is that it forces you to make your sentences more engaging, more important, right? So if you start off with, there were 20 people in the room, the question as an editor is like, so what? Why does that matter? How does the character feel about that? So instead, you can try rewriting your sentence like, the 20 talking and laughing people in the room made me want to hide. Everything about that sentence is helping the reader to feel immersed in that character's life. You're not wasting words. You don't have empty abstract ideas. Everything is creating a concrete reaction and feeling and experience that your reader can live vicariously through your characters. So let's look at another one. There was a table and four chairs. Now you can say, a table and four chairs were in the room, or once you remove there were and you're left with a table and four chairs, you can be like, okay, well, what's a better verb that I can use? Four chairs surrounded a table. That is a stronger sentence. That is where I met my friend for lunch can become I met my friend for lunch there. Those are the same red shoes I wore when I was six years old. Take out those are. And instead, you've got, I wore those same red shoes when I was six years old. You're just deleting empty, useless words when you do this, okay? So a homework assignment for you is open up your manuscript and do a search for there are, there were, there is, all of those words that I listed. Find them in your manuscript and see what happens when you delete those. And how is that going to get you to play around with the sentence a little bit more and just make it more engaging? So that's an easy fix. Again, I always say this. I'm going to say this one more time. This is during revision process. Please do not get hung up on these things when you are writing your shitty first draft. Because if you get hung up on these things when you're working on your shitty first draft and you're worrying about the flow of your sentences and how to make them sound pretty, you're not going to finish that shitty first draft. Because then you're just going to be like, I have to constantly fix and make it better and make it better. And it's like, no, finish your shitty first draft. And then we start going into the revision process, okay? Because then you can look at it from a bigger picture. Point number three, rename your it's. This is huge. This is the editor geek in me coming out where I get really excited about these things. The word it is not concrete. Can you picture it? I can't picture it, right? So whenever your reader comes across the word it, you're requiring your reader to do the work to figure out what the it is. So rename it. Now, there's two ways that you can do this. The simplest way to do this is open up your dictionary and find those synonyms. But then there's a second way to do it, which is way more fun. I'm going to get to that in a second, okay? But let's work with the first one. Let's work with synonyms. So let's say we have a sentence. She handed me the present. It was wrapped in blue and white striped paper, and it had a silver bow on top. So if we go to the dictionary and we find those synonyms for present, we can choose the gift, the donation, the offering, the token, easy words that we can just kind of pick and replace and move on. The next level is to get more creative with naming your its. And this will add more meaning and layers to your sentence. So maybe instead of present gift, donation, offering, token, maybe it's something more like 
the prize or a peace offering or a thoughtful gesture or a last minute apology. Think about how every time you rename the present one of those, it changes the meaning of the sentence. It changes how your reader and how your character perceives that present. So let's play around with, I've got a couple of these where I chose one of those different ways and see how it changes the sentence. She handed me the present. She wrapped her peace offering in blue and white striped paper and topped this last chance with an oversized silver bow. That conveys desperation and maybe guilt because of the fact that it's like you're trying too hard to apologize for something. And again, in this case, I swapped the present or I kept the present for the first one, but then the two it's, I swapped them off with peace offering and this last chance. All right, let's try another one. She handed me the present, which she wrapped in blue and white paper. She topped the thoughtful gesture with an oversized silver bow that bounced in my hand. This time, I swapped it with a thoughtful gesture. But when you pair the thoughtful gesture this time with the oversized silver bow that bounces, bouncing tends to give us that feeling of joy and excitement and happiness. So again, it completely changes the feelings and the emotions in that sentence. And I've got a third one for you. She handed me the present wrapped in blue and white paper. She topped her last minute apology with an oversized silver bow that reflected the sunlight and blinded me. When you force yourself to replace those it's and get creative with them, it leads to other ideas on how your character perceives this item. So when I'm thinking about this as like a last minute apology, but I'm not happy about that apology, then it made me come up with the idea of the light reflecting off of this ginormous, gawky, extravagant bow that's blinding me. And so you can feel the irritation toward that last minute apology. When I force myself instead to change it into a thoughtful gesture, that oversized bow then, because I wanted to uh, continue with this idea of it being thoughtful and happy, that's where I got the idea of the bow bouncing and getting us that image of joy and happiness and excitement. So have fun with your it's because they open up opportunities for us when we replace them. The other benefit of replacing our it's is it's also just less confusing for your readers. You have to be careful, grammatically speaking, where you're placing your it's because you think you're referring to something way earlier in the sentence. But grammatically speaking, it's referring to something like a lot closer to the it. And that's where it can create that confusion. And it's just forcing your readers to work harder. We don't want to make our readers work harder. We want them to just immerse themselves in our world and go and have fun and enjoy it. So have fun renaming your it's. Number four, active voice. This is another one that was reiterated over and over again throughout all of my literature classes and writing classes and et cetera. But the short version of it is that you don't want to use passive voice because it means that your characters are not taking action. In fact, nobody is taking action when you use passive voice. Things are just happening to your characters or happening around them. And that's not really engaging. Also, passive voice requires your readers to think more. We just talked about this with renaming your it's. 
We don't want to make our readers think and have to figure things out. I mean, okay, when you add layers to your stories and that's fun, and then you kind of want them to puzzle over and think about those things in a fun way. But when it comes to grammar and just writing your sentences clean and clear and concise, you don't want to make them think what's going on with passive voice that you're trying to figure out a sentence. And passive voice also makes your sentences more ambiguous. It leaves them wondering who did what now. The other thing, I'm going to give you examples of passive voice in a minute. The other thing with passive voice, it's boring. My professor gave me a passage and we read it. Everybody read it privately. And then we were supposed to kind of make notes on it and our thoughts about it. And I remember writing in the sidelines, boring. This is putting me to sleep. And I had no idea why. And then when he started talking about it, a lot of people had the exact same reaction. And it was because the entire paragraph used passive voice. Passive voice puts you to sleep. So here's how you know if you're using passive voice. If you can add by zombies after your verb, you're using passive voice. So here's a bunch of examples. I also love that it's by zombies because it makes me laugh. It makes it fun to do this then. Okay. My foot was crushed by zombies. Passive voice. The door was closed by zombies. Passive voice. The book was given to her by zombies. Her heart was set on fire by zombies. They were surrounded by zombies. The gun was registered by zombies. He was attacked by zombies. Fun sentence, but okay. So how do we rewrite these so that we're using active voice that our characters or even objects can take action? Here's how we do this. I'm going to go back and read the passive voice, but then I'm going to give you the active voice right after that so you can hear them side by side, okay? Instead of my foot was crushed, you say the rock crushed my foot. It's that easy. You're just swapping them and you have to say who did it, who did the action. And that's what makes it active voice. And the person who did it has to be at the front of the sentence, not at the back. The rock crushed my foot. The door was closed. Instead becomes he closed the door or someone closed the door or the wind closed the door. The book was given to her becomes her grandfather gave her the book. Her heart was set on fire becomes his kiss set her heart on fire. We were surrounded becomes the zombies surrounded us. <laughs> I, I had to use zombies for like a legit one here. The gun was registered becomes Uncle Otis registered the gun and he was attacked becomes 50 squirrels attacked him. When you use active voice, it makes the sentences more immediate and it helps your reader to feel like they are the ones who are also taking action and participating in the story. When you write stuff like, my foot was crushed and your sentence just goes on and on, people are like, well, wait, what, what crushed your foot? Or we were surrounded, leaves your reader going surrounded by what? And then they have to go and find in your sentence what surrounded them. Those are my four tips on how to easily strengthen your sentence. And one more time, I'm going to reiterate, please do not get hung up on this. When you are writing your first draft, these are revision techniques. This is after you have finished your first draft, you've gone through and you fixed big structural issues, you fixed timeline issues, you fixed plot hole issues, you fixed characters disappearing from your book, which totally happened in my first draft of my book that I'm publishing this September 15th. I had to get that in there because I'm still really excited about it. But there was a character in Ruins and Redemption who disappeared halfway through the book. Actually, no, she disappeared after like the first five chapters. Yeah. And I knew that in my head. I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do with her. 
And then thankfully I had a developmental editor who was like, oh, you got a hole in your book and, you know, this character could fill that hole. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So anyway, that's what you want to focus on when you are doing your revision process, the big revision. Then you go into your sentence level edits and that's where you can start looking at these things and how to strengthen your prose. So that's it for now. I hope you found this very helpful. Thank you for listening and keep writing. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Looking for a community of passionate writers who understand your goals and struggles? Join my exclusive Facebook group, Parents Who Write, where you can join weekly group writing sessions and find writing prompts, writing resources, and free weekly tutorials. Click the link in the show notes to join the community today.